0: nitv radio on mobile online and on radio we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land nitv radio broadcasts from the kamaragal people and their elders past and present we also acknowledge all aboriginal and torres strait islander tribes and clans we broadcast to from the mountains to the plains from the desert to the sea from fresh water to salt water I'm your host, Lawana Grant, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday, the 1st of November. Coming up on today's show, an interview with Mick Harding, a multidisciplinary artist whose works will feature in Fired Up, Stories Through Embers and Earth, which is running between the 25th of November and the 11th of February at the Koori Heritage Trust in Naam, Melbourne. We'll also take a look at some of the top stories from NITV News and I caught up with Campbell Drake, the Senior Lecturer at the School of Architecture at UTS in Sydney to chat about the opening of the new preschool and community hub at Maran Bridge on Wiradjuri Country in central New South Wales. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia
1: Day
2: 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy. The native title legislation must be amended.
0: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, a new version of The Last Post has been created to help remember both Indigenous and non Indigenous soldiers together ahead of Remembrance Day. The federal court to hear arguments in a case by a traditional landowner in the Tiwi Islands to stop mining company Santos. And the Israeli military has confirmed it was behind a deadly airstrike on Gaza's largest refugee camp. A new version of The Last Post has been created to help remember both Indigenous and non-Indigenous soldiers together. Didgeridoo player Mark Atkins has teamed up with jazz icon James Morrison to create the new sound. The Australian War Memorial and the late Indigenous leader Archie Roach were also involved in the project, which has taken three years to come to fruition. Mr Atkins says the product is long overdue. In fact, he's been thinking about it since he was a child.
3: This project, um, it goes back a long time, nearly 60 years. It would have been about eight, nine, I suppose, and it was all about putting them to rest, the, the old people that had died in action, and for them to be remembered here in this country.
0: Remembrance Day is November 11th. The federal court is to hear further arguments today in a case brought up by traditional landowner in the Tiwi Islands, designed to stop mining company Santos building an underwater gas pipeline in the area. Simon Munkara has filed proceedings asking for an emergency injunction against the work. Mr Munkara says Santos has not properly considered underwater cultural heritage along the route of its Barossa export pipeline. Whilst the case is being heard, Santos will be allowed to start work laying the pipes, providing it's not in the area of concern for traditional owners. Santos says a ship is sitting off the port of Darwin, ready to start the work immediately. They say the pipe laying work will take about 10 days to reach the area of concern. The Israeli military has confirmed it was behind a deadly airstrike on Gaza's largest refugee camp. Israel Defense Forces spokesperson Daniel Hagar confirmed that Israeli fighter jets attacked the Jabali refugee camp, killing many, including Hamas Senior Commander Ibrahim Biari. Health services in Gaza estimate that at least 50 people were killed in the strike, with hundreds wounded. This mother lost her child in the strike. May God have mercy on them. To God we belong, and to Him we will return.
4: May God give me patience. To God we belong, and to Him we will return. Intercede for us, God. God is great. Thank God we die as martyrs. May God give me patience.
0: Gaza's health authorities said that 8,525 people, including 3,542 children, have been killed in Israeli attacks since October 7. Residents of Dalveen and surrounding areas in Queensland south have been advised to evacuate immediately amid bushfire battles. The warning was issued for residents of Dalveen, the Glen, Silverwood and Cherry Gully. The main source of concern for the state is the Tara Fire west of Brisbane, which has killed one person, scorched 20,000 hectares and destroyed 53 Queensland homes in the last week, worse than the 2019 Black Summer tragedy. Queensland Fire and Emergency Services Deputy Commissioner Mike Wassing has told ABC News the agency is doing all possible to assist affected areas.
2: Support for the communities, that is our focus, is uh, obviously in the firefighting, the primacy and protection of life and property um, and making sure the warnings go out. But our fundamental uh, focus continues on that in terms
3: of supporting the local communities.
0: Over 1,000 firefighters are now combating approximately 80 fires across the state. Residents have been warned to remain vigilant after several bushfires in northern New South Wales hit rural homes and spewed spot fires into an urban area. Tenterfield, about 15 kilometres south of the Queensland border, was the epicentre of New South Wales firefighting efforts on Tuesday after seven blazes ignited to the towns north, west and south. But the fire alerts were downgraded to a Watch and Act warning this morning amid easing conditions. But fire services say it will still pose a serious threat. And three firefighters who were in hospital after their truck rolled over into Tenterfield LGA have now been discharged. An unarmed woman has been shot by French police after allegedly making jihadist threats at a Paris train station during morning rush hour members of the public alerted police to the 38-year-old fully-vowed woman while she was traveling on a suburban train. Police isolated her at a station where they say she refused to follow the orders and threatened to blow herself up. Two police officers fired eight rounds at the woman, hitting her in the abdomen. French government spokesman Olivia Varane says they had no other choice
5: sont tombés sur cette dame vêtue d'un et qui tenait des propos manifestement à connotation
3: police found this woman who was wearing a full body veil and was uttering aggressive jihadist comments they pulled the woman aside and first asked her to calm down but also to show her hands to show they presented no particular danger what happened then was that law enforcement officers had no option but to open fire on this woman Woman, given the danger of the situation,
0: the woman has been taken to hospital. The officers were wearing body cameras, which officials say will be used in the investigation of the incident. Mr. Varan says the woman has a previous conviction for threatening soldiers on a patrol. The Australian housing market is about to surpass its previous peak, but the potential of another interest rate hike and an influx of new properties for sale could limit future expansion. As mortgage rates began to rise, the housing market saw a gradual decline throughout much of 2022. But property values have recovered strongly since January, much to the surprise of the Reserve Bank Governor and many others. The CoreLogic Home Value Index is now only 0.5% behind its high from last year, with numerous regions including Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth already reaching new highs. Nationally, the index increased by 0.9% in October, up from 0.7% in September. SBS will remain the home of the biggest sporting event on earth, the Men's Football World Cup. SBS has acquired the rights to the next tournament to be held across the United States, Mexico and Canada in 2026. It will be the 10th World Cup to be shown on SBS. It will feature more matches than ever as the tournament expands to 48 nations and 104 games. SBS Managing Director James Taylor says Australians associate the World Cup with SBS.
6: Well for many audience members uh, SBS and the World Cup are synonymous and uh, we've been bringing this fantastic event to all Australians since 1986 when people like Les Murray and Johnny Warren brought the world game to life for all of our audiences. In 2026 we'll have had a 40 year
0: relationship with FIFA and I'm so delighted that we're bringing the Men's World Cup to all Australians live, free and exclusively across all of our platforms. The news comes as Football Australia has announced it will not bid for the right to host the 2034 Men's World Cup, clearing the path for Saudi Arabia to host the tournament. And in netball, Australia has finished their successful 2023 season on a high, beating South Africa three games to nil. The Diamonds have beaten Proteas 77 goals to 50 in Hobart in the third and final game of the series. The Australians took the lead early in the match and did not relinquish control. Captain Liz Watson starred for Australia, setting up 31 of Australia's goals. The 27 goal margin is the biggest of the series. Australia finishes 2023 having won 16 of their 19 matches, including winning the World Cup, the Constellation Cup against New Zealand and the Quad Series tournament that featured England, New Zealand and South Africa. And now for a look at today's weather. Broom mostly sunny 33, Perth sunny 30, Adelaide mostly sunny 23, Melbourne cloudy 17, Hobart partly cloudy 21, aubrey Wodonga sunny 23, Canberra partly cloudy 21, Wollongong also partly cloudy 19, Sydney much the same 21, Newcastle partly cloudy 22. Brisbane also partly cloudy 27, Townsville mostly sunny 32, Cairns mostly sunny 32, Alice Springs also sunny 37, Darwin mostly sunny 37 and the Torres Strait Islands sunny and 37. And that is NITV Radio News.
7: On radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. NITV Radio on radio, online, and mobile.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, I caught up with Campbell Drake, the senior lecturer at the School of Architecture at UTS, to chat about the opening of the new preschool and community hub at Murren Bridge on Radjury Country in central New South Wales. And we have an interview with Mick Harding, a multidisciplinary artist whose works will be featured in Fired Up, Stories Through Embers and Earth, which is running between the 25th of November and the 11th of February at the Koori Heritage Trust. But first, here's a look at some of the top stories from NITV News. The West Australian Government has appointed a new program director to implement changes to the state's troubled youth detention system. The government won't identify who that person is, but it's understood it to be Narelle Butt, who has previously worked in the Tasmanian youth detention sector. Michael Park reports.
3: Narelle Butt was formerly the Deputy Secretary of Children and Youth Services in Tasmania. That department oversaw the safety and security of both staff and young people in youth detention.
7: They get into that cycle of um, the illicit drug use which then goes into criminal activity which then they find themselves in the prison system and it's very difficult for them to get out of that.
3: She's also a self-described straight shooter. Usually straight shooters
0: are action focused so let's hope that's the case.
3: WA's youth detention system has been described as being in crisis with some young detainees held in the Unit 18 facility inside the Maximum Security Casuarina Adult Prison. There have been protests and calls for the closure of Unit 18 since the death in custody two weeks ago of 16-year-old Cleveland Dodd. Youth justice advocates are hopeful the new appointment will bring positive change.
1: I hope she can deliver. But I won't hold out hope because it's been betrayed in in the past.
3: In order
7: to move forward with the transformation of the youth justice system in WA, including the model of care within youth detention facilities, there needs to be very strong and strategic leadership.
3: The Tasmanian Department of Communities, which Narelle Butt previously worked for, was abolished in December last year. That came about after a commission of inquiry into child sex abuse in the state heard evidence from former detainees at the notorious Ashley Youth Detention Centre. Along with physical abuse, the evidence highlighted long periods of isolation for detainees, an issue which has been prevalent in WA's Unit 18 and the Banksia Hill Youth Detention Centre. Michael Park, NITV News.
0: When Remembrance Day comes around on November 11th, the last post may sound a little different. Didgeridoo player Mark Atkins has teamed up with jazz musician James Morrison to recreate the iconic piece of music, uniting to pay homage to our First Nations and non-Indigenous Australian soldiers together.
4: Tradition reimagined. the first time the last post has featured a First Nations sound, remembering all who have fought for Australia.
7: To equally represent First Nation and Australian soldiers and kind of create in the arrangement that sense of camaraderie that was on the battlefield.
4: Yamaji man Mark Atkins combining an ancient art form with musician James Morrison on the bugle in the hope of creating a new Australian tradition founded in healing and unity.
7: So when I was
2: first asked to be part of a project to get together with Mark and do a new version of The Last Post, I thought that ancient sound with the sound of the bugle really, without any words, says something about people coming together.
4: The project was three years in the making, In consultation with First Nations icons like the late Uncle Archie Roach, along with the Australian War Memorial and RSL New South Wales, it aims to bring Australians together in remembrance.
6: Not taking away from the old and the tradition, because that's so very vital and important. It's having an inclusion into
3: it.
4: The arrangement not only changing perceptions about how the last post should sound, but also how the didgeridoo can be played. Mark Atkins hoping to start a new chapter for Remembrance Day. Should
3: have been done instead a long time ago, but as they say, it's no time like the present.
0: This week, 10 First Nations athletes head off to New York City to compete in one of the world's top marathons. From the dusty roads of Australia's most remote communities to the streets of Sydney, it's been a gruelling six months of preparation for the squad. Yusuf Saudi reports.
6: Preparing for his first ever marathon, Joel Etherington has just picked up running this year and has helped him connect more to his culture and inspire his community in Sydney.
2: It's so good. I remember doing my training and... I'd run, I'm just running the same loop that's just in the community and there's his old auntie
6: saying, "Go, Joel, how many laps you got left? You know, Joel, keep it going. Joel and his teammates are part of the long-running Indigenous Marathon Project established by World Marathon champion Rob DiCostella. A project to develop not just First Nations athletes but also change makers in their community. This group have really come together in
2: a in a, a really strong way. You know, they become they they come together as strangers six months ago and now you know sort of they're all heading off to New York as family.
6: From remote areas across Australia to here in Sydney, the runners have made some big treks before heading to their final destination, New York City, to run more than 40 kilometres. The long open roads around Alice Springs proved an ideal training ground, Territorian Peter Farrell making the journey from his top-end home of Beswick. It's
5: very hard to, for kids to come this far. You know? Some of them don't have a good opportunity to get out from the community.
6: Joining him on the journey is fellow Territorian Faith Stevens from Galawenku on Elko Island off the Northern Territory coast.
0: I want to be able to show people that... Education is the key to a
7: lot of things, but I also want to show that I, like. it's upsetting that people have to leave their communities to get an education.
6: So these guys are very different from Camp 1 to what they are now about to head to New York. Um, they're all kind of leaders within their communities, um, and from that kind of personal growth perspective, it's, it's great to see. Taking flight for a marathon milestone. Yusuf Saudi, <laughs> NITV News.
0: Indigenous primary school students in the inner west of Sydney have spent a day learning about and practising Indigenous culture. The day's packed schedule saw students immersed in contemporary and traditional First Nations song, dance and storytelling. Ricky Kirby reports. Dance and song from the
5: Torres Strait being practised in inner west Sydney. Do you guys think you can do it? It's just one of the lessons being taught in the Aboriginal School Dance Program at Marrickville Public School.
6: We have a number of students at our school who are First Nations and it's a very big part of our our school and how we run it. And felt it was a great opportunity to promote the understanding of First Nations culture uh, and also a chance for our First Nations students to get together and... Uh, be involved in, in dance programs.
5: The program is coordinated by the Brolga Dance Company and has brought indigenous students from several schools together to be immersed in culture.
4: We've invited them to come and participate in um, Aboriginal Dance which is Aboriginal Contemporary Traditional and Torres Strait Islander dance and it's a way for them to come and connect together as a and create a small community within amongst themselves and also connect culture. I just love seeing our kids connect to culture. It's what ROL is about. It's about providing that really strong cultural identity and that connection, um, and for them to have the opportunity to have a a space for them, a safe cultural space for them to share as well. And that's what today's about.
5: And the kids themselves say they love it.
4: It makes me feel good about being Aboriginal. It's fun. It makes me feel calm. And, yeah, I just feel welcome. I get to lots of people from our culture and um, do some fun stuff like dancing today. Practising our cultural dances and everything I just love it, it's just so much fun
5: Passing on knowledge from one generation to the next one dance move at a time Ricky Kirby NITV News
7: Your community Your conversation NITV Radio Visit sbs.com.au slash radio.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Murrum Bridge near Lake Kajelago on Muradjuri country in central west New South Wales has recently opened up its new preschool and community hub. And I caught up with Campbell Drake, the senior lecturer at the School of Architecture at UTS, who was involved in the project along with the Murrum Bridge community to chat about how UTS assisted with the project and how this new space will benefit the community now and into the future. Murren Bridge near Lake Ejelago on Miradjuri Country in central west New South Wales has recently opened up its new preschool and community hub and today I'm joined by Campbell Drake, Senior Lecturer in the School of Architecture at UTS.
2: Hi Luana, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining me today. So firstly, the Murren Bridge Preschool and Community Hub had its opening ceremony on the 26th of October. How did the launch go?
2: Yeah, fantastic. It was we're um, really well represented. We were really happy to see a number of representatives from um, all of our funding groups, from ENIAA, from Aboriginal Affairs, from Multiplex, um, also Department of Education, TAFE, um, and then also senior, represent- senior representatives from my own university, Marie Graham, who's the director of Jumbana at UTS. Mm-hmm. so yeah it was it was also awesome. and also you know really well represented by um the extended community um we, there was a a, a welcome dance um, a smoking ceremony um welcome to country um a series of uh a series of, of speeches and then we had um all had lunch together there at mar bridge um on, on the thursday yeah it was and the weather was beautiful we were really lucky.
0: And how did the University of Technology Sydney assist with this project? And also, how did you engage with community during the process?
2: Um, So, UTS, we've been working with the community at Bridge since 2016, and how that came about was through a colleague of mine, um, Dr Alan Teal, who discovered his uh, Indigenous ancestry when he was 40. He then traced that back to Bridge, and once he'd made um, contact or he'd... he'd, um, uh, he, he'd sort of, um, once he'd, he'd, um, become, um, connected with the community, he then invited, um, some elders to come to UTS with the intent of forging a relationship with the university. Um, then, uh, that, that then turned into, um, a series of undergraduate, um, uh, design studios where students from the School of Architecture, uh, went to Murren and we were working on a project looking at community, community revitalization. Um, and also, um, uh, looking at, um, how we could adaptively reuse sort of existing infrastructure. And from that, um, turned into a live project with, um, my colleagues and I, Erty Grau and Guillermo Abascal, um, in which we received some seed funding from the Prime Ministers and Cabinet, um, and what we were asked to design by the community, um, which was identified through this consultation with students, was a community services hub. Um, and during that time, a lot of those services had moved back to the to Lake Carjeligo, and the community has had identified their desire for some of those core services to return to Marm Bridge, and that's, the, that's that's kind of the origins of. Um, how we came involved with Maren Bridge,
0: mm. and how long did the project of the Maren Bridge Preschool and Community Hub take? I guess from the idea and then through to completion of the new facility.
2: Um, it was a, it was a long time coming about about five years um, oh, wow. to the launch yesterday. Yeah, it was similarly it, it was um, somewhat delayed through um, the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and also just sort of escalating uh, building costs, etc. But I'm really grateful to, to all of our funders and particularly to the preschool director, um, Leanne Smith, who's, who was really the, the driver behind, um, uh, the project development. Um, and then uh, it's been in construction since earlier this year. Um, however, it, there was a, a long time sort of incubating and we did a lot of consultation with community through a series of workshops, including the preschool kids, the, the Moan Bridge community, the, the land council and also the, the service providers who will um, who'll be providing core services from the new facility.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned um, before that, you know, it was a, a smaller facility. Now that it's been expanded, how many students will the preschool cater for compared to before?
2: Um, I think, well, the, previously they had a uh, 35, um, a placement for 35, and they'd really outgrown, well, the, the demand had really outgrown the space that they had available. So now they'll... Once all the planning and accreditation is through through the Department of Education, they'll have 57 places. Um, and, but in addition to that, um, there's new landscaping internally. There's the courtyard, which during preschool hours operates as a, um, as a playground. And then after hours, um, it's opened up to the community. And in addition to that, there is a um, the community hub um, in which there'll be health services, um, employment services. The land council will have their offices from there. Um, also some um, um, Ready, uh, Medicare, these kinds of clinical services are now returned to Mount bridge
0: mm. I was actually just going to ask you about the essential services and community activities that will take place at the hub. How do you think this will service the community to aid in like health and wellbeing and just being able to even provide, um, you know, more jobs for the community?
2: Definitely. So in order to, for the preschool to um, accommodate additional kids, there'll be um adi- additional employment op- opportunities for um for the preschool workers um and um in addition to that they can th- there's also um a possibility of hosting events from the new center so one, the the second pavilion which have been added it doubles as a multi-purpose space so community prior um in the like a women's space and a men's, a men's shed, these kinds of things. So all of those activities will be able to be returned to this, um, the central facility. And I suppose in terms of wellbeing, one of the, the major things that the community were asking for was um, uh, there's the exchange between elders and the preschoolers. So this is um, a really nice way in which um, those two groups could come together um, at a sort of central service within, or a central facility within Murren Bridge.
0: And finally, how will this community hub assist the Murrenbridge community now and into the future? And do you think there'll be plans, you know, to incorporate more areas to this new facility or even use it for different, you know, as you mentioned, different events and things like that? And how, how do you think it'll benefit the community?
2: Um, well, I think it's, you know, it, it is through all the consultation we did and, um, and the workshops that the community had, had asked for spaces in which they could gather. So now that the, they have this purpose-built facility, which is still somewhat flexible, they're able to host um, events such as Sorry Business or um, or weddings or things like um, bingo or board board meetings. So um, the, the hope is that, you know, that that community will now take you know ownership and authorship of that um, of that building, and and um, hopefully that will provide a space where they can. Um, consolidate whatever desires they have for their future.
0: Well thank you so much uh, Campbell for joining me on NITV radio today. It sounds like such an amazing facility and I'm sure it will benefit the Bridge community as well. So thanks so much for joining me for a chat on uh, the radio show today.
7: Thanks Luana. Join the conversation on radio online and mobile. You're with NITV radio. TV Radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 pm or any time
0: online. Welcome back, you're with NITV Radio. Next up is an interview with Mick Harding, a multidisciplinary artist whose works will be featured in Fired Up! Stories Through Embers and Earth which is running between the 25th of November and the 11th of February at the Koori Heritage Trust in Naam, Melbourne. Exhibited together for the first time, Fired Up! Stories Through Embers and Earth brings works that are extraordinarily individual through ground- though grounded in relationships with history, storytelling, land and sea by Using clay. NITV Radio's Birch and Tungendami has more.
5: I'm joined by Mick Harding, one of the participating artists in Fired Up Stories Through Embers and Earth, an exhibition outcome from the Black Design Programme by the Kuri Heritage Trust. And this year, the exhibition explores the possibilities of clay. Mick, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you. Can you tell us about your participation in this upcoming exhibition and uh, your art practice?
1: My art practice is very varied. Um, sculptures, commissions, woodwork, jewellery, um, drawing, and just recently the stuff in um, Black Design is my first, the first go um, at ceramics since Form 2. For those of you who don't know what Form 2 is, it's uh, year 8. I do lots and lots of stuff, mostly working wood. I started off making artefacts, Aboriginal artefacts. I do a whole host of other things. It would certainly take up um, this interview and then some if I was to continue to to talk talk about all the different things.
5: Yeah, because you're multi-talented, you do so many things, printmaking. Using clay is something that uh, is... uh not one of uh, the 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 the, no. the forms that you work most with.
1: As I said, first time since I was back in um, back in tech school yeah. um, when I was a young fella, I haven't worked in ceramics really ever. It was a bit of a challenge, but it was good fun. You know, I I did enjoy it.
5: What inspired your works that are featured in uh, this exhibition?
1: One of our um, traditional stories talks about how men are made from bark and women are made from mud so I did forms that were mostly um, that we, our old people did in the past we still do today, make make out of bark Um, but of course they're made out of mud being clay so there's sort of this duality about the forms that I've made they're just all different kinds of um, carrying vessels Um, and then I just played around with different parts of that form and uh, also um, kind of being a bit flexible about how I went about doing things. You think you're going to be doing one thing and then you, you end up doing something slightly different because of the nature of what the the is. Yeah. I had an array of things that I was trying to achieve yeah. and I end up achieving these ones. The other stuff didn't sort of work out, so I'm told that the kiln gods are always watching over you when you uh, when you work with clay, so some success and some failures but that's, I'm told is the, the norm
5: Yeah, so clay is something that uh, blends or connects people with matter and the earth
1: Yes, yeah, well we forget that it's, it is Mother Earth so it's called we call it Mother Earth for a for good reason, yeah. Um, because if it it didn't if it didn't exist, we wouldn't. So um, fairly um, fairly simple, I think, in that. You know? So, um, yeah. I mean,
5: yeah. Um, it said that uh, your artwork uh, featured in the exhibition comprises uh, shield shapes and uh, tanak balls inspired by bark, wild balls.
1: They probably. More commonly known as kulaman, but that's not the word for our. Well, it's not our word for it. Our word is kana. Yeah, Karnaks were um, used for all kinds of things. They were used for carrying all or, or um, putting sleeping, putting babies in in them to to sleep with. Um, uh, using them as containers to yeah, you know, the food, different types of food. They use for the water sometimes to put water and fresh water in. They were something that was an everyday item that you know, our people used in the past. And look, I, I still use use them from time to I, time. I sometimes use a up to make my ochre paint up when we paint up to sing and dance. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole host of different uses for them, and. Um, they still continue today. They're probably not exactly the same as how uh, old people use the containers, the canoes. Yeah. But, um, um, and I suppose the, the the thing about it is you you want to show continuity. So even though they were are they're bark, they're bathed, they normally bark. You know, um, making them out of ceramic. Uh, but normally, you know, we we use clay as a, as a a, in a in ball in a ball kind of um, fashion, we'd make a clay ball, ball and use it for, for uh, as a um, kind of an oven ball. Yeah. Um, and um, there's still lots of evidence around in the landscape um, where those old hearths are. Essentially, they're just um, old ovens um, where our old people were, were um, cooking food in.
5: I'd say that your ceramic works. Uh, I was looking at uh, the exhibition brief. Uh, your work is uh, your work aims to project a special feeling about cultural knowledge. Yes
1: yes you know for cultural knowledge to stay alive it, it needs to adapt you know, uh, adapt to whatever technologies because as human beings we we're, we're just storytellers. you know we're the oldest storytellers on this continent well, with what we know of. Um, yeah, so telling stories in the modern context probably look slightly different to when, uh, before, than when, before, uh, European people came here. Yeah. Um, or invaders here, whichever way you, you look at it. Um, we need to continue to tell our stories, um, tell them in the modern context and tell them in the way that we want to share those stories with with people, no matter what their persuasion, um, we want to invite people to enjoy our culture um, and our storytelling because that's the hallmark of who we are. We, we are we have always had uh, as relationship as one of our foundations of who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, not only with each other but with everything else in on around us. Yeah. Um, so we continue.
5: So you continue practicing culture, but also maintain uh, technologies and practices that were around uh, thousands and thousands of years ago.
1: Yeah, look, we've been here for, you know, over 2,000 generations. Other people that that arrived here have only been here approximately 10 generations. So our people have been here for a very long time, and um, we've been... um, in an intimate relationship with this place for a very, very long time. And we want to share that. We want to share that with everyone else. Yeah. We want them to to learn learn from us um, and walk the path with it.
5: And now my last question before I let you go, anything uh, you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners or maybe a message to people who will be visiting the exhibition?
1: Uh, Look, uh, come along and have a look. There's lots of different... Styles in the exhibition. Everyone else that participated, you know, sort of brought their own personal touch to it. Some people are quite good at ceramics, and you'll see that in the exhibition. There are some that are quite competent, and then there's some of us are, you know, brand new to it, and really, we were just exploring, um, uh, you know, what it is. You know, um, and so that's why it, um, it's called Fired it Up. You know, which is um, probably a bit of a a little bit funny sort of you yeah you know, we talk about words like deadly and fire up and, um, and um, we we talk with those words with a with a smile or a smirk on our face because they make us feel good about being a little bit cheeky and a little bit funny hopefully yeah. Um, so yeah come along have a look
5: Mick Harding, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio about your participation in this uh, groundbreaking exhibition
1: Okay,
7: no worries Thank you Join the conversation
0: on radio online and mobile You're with NITV Radio And you're listening to NITV Radio And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Lawana Grant, Mandangor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.